Well, hello, deal makers, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blank. I'm super excited that you're here. I'm also excited that we're now just a couple weeks away from DealMaker Live. This one is coming right to you. We're going to bring DealMaker Live to you. That's right. It's going to be virtual at DealMakerLiveEvent.com. Tickets are for this sale now. We have an amazing roster of speakers. We have Tom Wheelwright, Robert Helms, or the real estate guys. We've got Joe Fairless. Even Brandon Turner is going to be there. We have Ellie Perlman, huge syndicator, platform builder, and many, many other We're really going to cover the entire topic of apartment building investing from A to Z, all the way from finding deals, raising capital, operations, and marketing. We're going to make sure that we cover everything. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be from July 15 to 18. We're going to have about three or four hours a day of teaching, and then we're going to have a couple hours of networking with each other. And so technology is really amazing. We can do breakout sessions, rotate. We're going to have the VIP experience that allows you in very small groups to hang out with some of the biggest speakers we have. We have Robert Helms. We have Tom Wheelwright, Joe Fairless, Brandon Turner. So imagine hanging out with 30 minutes with, with Brandon and part of the VIP experience. So I got all these guys that commit to doing that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And so make sure you check that out, dealmakerliveevent.com. And hopefully you can join us for that as well. Now, speaking of Dealman Live, I just interviewed uh, Kyle Mitchell just the other day. You may not know who he is, but he's one of our former mentoring students that from the when he got started with multifamily investing, he bought our course, Ultimate Guide, and then joined mentoring. Within 11 months, he had quit his job. And it's so powerful. I interviewed him for, uh, he's going to be on Dealmaker Live as well. He's receiving the Freedom Hall of Fame coin. And the reason I, I bring him up, and he's just an example of many who have become financially free with, with real estate, but his journey has really been accelerated a lot by our mentoring program called the Investor Incubator. So I'm really excited about what it's doing. We're really, we have a, amazing full-time syndicators that are working with us as mentors and helping people become financially free. And Kyle is one of those people. So if you, if you think mentoring is right for you, you want to accelerate your journey to financial freedom and you have the capacity to invest in yourself and you value mentorship, then check it out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and set up a strategy session to see if it's right for you. Again, really excited about that. Really excited also. I'm so excited about everything, I suppose. But but today is a real special episode because we're going to be hanging out with the one and the one and only Brandon Turner. Brandon, I've known him for several years, uh, many years, since 2014 when I started blogging for the Bigger Pockets. He was there and he just got started with, with Bigger Pockets. I would say he's now the face of Bigger Pockets. And he is just an unbelievable content producing machine. He has uh, seen and done almost every single real estate strategy. He's authored books, he's done webinars. He has really elevated Bigger Pockets to what it is today. And uh, I'm just really pleased that he was able to come on the podcast today. We really cover a lot of different things. We talk about, hey, what's going on right now with with COVID and other things? How you know how is things going? What's he seeing? We talk about different real estate strategies because on bigger pockets, he does see so many different strategies. He himself has done several. He's done burrs. He's done multifamily. He's done you know mobile home parks. So we talk about we banter back and forth about you know, stuff he's doing now and how misguided it might, might be. I'm <laughs> just kidding. He's doing a lot of great stuff with his, with his investing. And then marketing. We talk a lot about marketing. I mean, it's something he's so good at. And we do spend some time on marketing, how you can apply that to scale your syndication business and how he finds life balance. We talk a lot about goal setting. Uh, for example, he was very intentional about moving to Hawaii and how he sets his goals. And it's just a really powerful podcast with an amazing human being. So I'm really excited. So let's get right into the, into the interview here with the one, the only Brandon Turner. 
You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Brandon, welcome to the show today. Hey, thank you. This is, uh, this is an honor. I appreciate it. Oh, the honor is mine. Are you kidding me? This is great. But uh, it was great coming on your show, and I've been waiting to get you on show. But you're super busy, and you know it's tough for you to leave the island, though now this virtual thing, you have very little excuse. So I'm really excited to kind of delving into it a little bit. So, Brandon, let's get started, because we have some really unusual times. I think uh, you know if you're an optimist kind of person, you're looking at it more like, hey, the opportunity is, is amazing. Others might go, oh my gosh, you know, uh, this is bad. You know, how do you assess the impact of COVID-19 and, and kind of what's your, yeah. if you, you know, look into your crystal ball, what do you see for real estate investing in the next, uh, you know, 12 months? My crystal ball, yeah. Yeah, so it's a little dusty right now, you know, but I'll try to dust off the crystal ball and tell you what I see. So I used this analogy recently, I don't remember where, so if people heard it before, whatever. Uh, I basically said, you remember like Roadrunner and like uh, Wile E. Coyote cartoons and like, Roadrunner would like somehow get Wiley Coyote to like run off a cliff and like he'd be like stuck in the middle of the air and he wouldn't notice that he's standing over a cliff until he looks down and then all of a sudden he drops, right? A very common kind of joke in cartoons. And uh, I kind of think that's where we are is we just like ran off this cliff and if no cliff appears on the other side, like at the other edge, like if it was a ravine, like if we don't land on another cliff, we're going to be in for a tough time. Now, I think we are going to land on another cliff. And so we would have just glossed right over the, the thing and not even noticed that we went over it. It's like a car jumping over a cliff, right? It's like uh, evil Knievel. That's where I tend to think. Now, if the virus comes and like, you know, does a second round of this and they shut everyone down again and this time longer and like, I mean, yes, there's a lot of bad things that could happen. But I think that we're coming out on the other side. We're going to land on that other cliff and be like, whoa, do you see what we just went through? Like, do you see what we just did? And things will just get mostly back to normal. Now, is there going to be an effect? Of course, like we're going to probably see, you know, prices drop maybe a little bit. It would be my guess. I think rents aren't going to grow as strong as they, they were. I don't think prices of house are going to grow as much. I don't think we're going to see a crash unless, again, that cliff doesn't come up. But that's just my, that's my guesstimate. If I had to say, I'd say I'm 85% confident that six months from now, this is going to be a an interesting memory. I don't say good or bad, but an interesting memory of this time. Now, should we as real estate investors, both active or passive, should we adjust our, you know, our behavior of what we're doing right now? Good question. I think there's a few things that we should be doing. And I know you're doing this, I'm sure, in your underwriting as well, is maybe being less optimistic than we were a couple of years ago. And what I mean by that is, and, and, and I mean, as investors, we always want to be conservative and want to be careful with our numbers. But like where I may have, estimated we're going to increase rents, you know, starting from year one, or we can, we can bump rents. My underwriting being a little bit more conservative with everything I do. Uh, when I'm flipping houses, I do a little bit of flipping, like we're being much more careful on what we buy and making sure that we, and I've always kind of had this rule, but I'm being more specific now is we have to have the backup plan to be able to rent it out in case, like, I don't want to lose money on a flip. So if we're going to flip a house, great, let's make some money, but I want to have a backup plan uh, with like the, uh, the larger stuff that I'm doing, the larger multifamily, like the mobile home park stuff. We're just being very careful saying, hey, this year might be ups and downs. Like we're not going to promise everyone that everything's going to be good. When we're raising money, we're not going to promise everything's going to be perfect forever uh, this year because who knows what's coming? We don't know. Like I can be confident all day long, but we don't know. But long term, the fundamentals still apply. In fact, if nothing else, I think this time is a good time to re-remember and revisit the fundamentals because we get a little loosey-goosey in a good market and everyone gets a little bit too like liberal with their estimates and their numbers and because the market just it's very forgiving 
uh, in a good market. And today you just have to be better. You have to be more on your game, more conservative. That's my two cents. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, some people might say that there's a great opportunity on the horizon. What what opportunities are you seeing, or that you think you might want to, you know, take advantage of, or maybe others should to take, look into? Sure. So what I always look for is I don't look like a year down the road necessarily. I don't look at like what's working right now that's going to be like you know work in this economy, this market, because those things change constantly, and they're kind of a guess, like. You know, I could jump on the bandwagon right now of selling masks, you know, like the, the whatever, the 90, what are they called? 95, something 95 masks. And I, I could go and order shipments of those in and like change my whole life around what is needed right now, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm looking 10 years down the road saying, what's, what's true 10 years down the road from now? And when I look at 10 years down the road, I see a few things. One, I see a whole lot of old people, like a whole lot of old people out there uh, that are retiring. Uh, and that's starting right now. My parents are in that age bracket. Like there's a lot of old people retiring and a lot of old people who don't have any money, especially if this does wipe out a lot of people's 401ks and, and their, their pensions and such. There's gonna be a lot of people that are, have a lot, not a lot of money in the future. Now that said, I think that there's a migration uh, and a lot of the migration is heading south of people who don't want to live in the cold anymore. Cause back in the day, right? Like old world, everyone just lived where they grew up. That was like how it was for uh, all of human history. But like, today's world, people are much more comfortable leaving because it's so easy to jump on a plane. It's so easy to get on Zoom, especially with this COVID thing, changing human behavior where everybody understands now how to do video calls in the entire world, pretty much. So what does that mean? I think that we're going to see a lot of shifts towards people moving away from the cold, wet north down to south. I think there's going to be a lot of lower income, like older people. So looking at those trends, what am I looking for? One reason we chose mobile home parks, because I think that's a that capitalizes on that. We're mostly buying mobile home parks. We're, I mean, we're buying them all over, but we really like the South. Like I would buy lower income apartment complexes. I just don't want like a class, you know, $12,000 a month penthouse suite. Like I don't want any of that stuff right now. Not saying you can't make money on it. I just, I like the fact that there is a growing older population, but also rents have not kept up. Well, I should say rents have outpaced incomes in a lot for a lot of Americans. Home prices have outpaced incomes for a lot of Americans. Uh, when developers build new buildings, they're typically building it at a price range that accommodates the top 30% of the country in terms of income, not the bottom 70%. And so I see this growing trend of like, a lot of housing has been built for people who can afford it, but there's a lot more people who can't afford it. What does that mean? So again, there's things like Low income housing, uh, I think, is a trend. I think that, again, senior housing is a trend. I think that mobile home parks is a trend that should just strengthen over time. And just affordable housing in general, I think, is just a, a strong thing. So that was a very long answer to your question. No, that's great. You talked about migration trends. You talked about uh, affordable housing trends. You talked about senior living trends. What I didn't hear you say is there's short-term, medium-term things that we should pay attention to because of what's going on right now. I didn't hear you say that because is, your analogy is just running and you're basically, there might be a, a cliff down below, but you're kind of still running straight. So yes. you are not, it sounds to me like you're not banging the panic drums here. You're saying stay the course, uh, stick to your yeah. underwriting. And I think that's, I think that's good yep. advice. I think a lot of people are, are kind of freaked out and they're panicking and they're like, oh my gosh, should I start doing something? Should I stop doing something? And that's what I'm not hearing. And I love that. Now, one thing that happened in the last recession was a lot of people left real estate. I mean, you talk to anyone who was in the business at the time, even in the educational business, I mean, they took a mm -hmm. beating. Anybody that was in a single family house, anything related to that took a massive beating. 
and you have some yeah. some visibility, for example, for bigger pockets. Do you think that, you know, this kind of uh, this situation is going to attract more people, or do you think that people will start leaving the the real estate communities? And how do you assess the impact of that? That's a really good question. My guess is, and again, goes a lot of this goes back to how long this lasts, how long that space is before we hit the other cliff, you know, so we can like be okay. And if we free fall, all this goes out the window. But I don't expect that. So my thinking is this. Last time the recession was caused by real estate, everybody knew it was caused by real estate, at least, you know, indirectly, if you want to get real deep, but it was basically caused by, you know, real estate and shady practices. Today, we didn't have as much, like real estate fundamentally is still pretty strong. It's still pretty good. There's not a, a massive problem. And so, I mean, I've been saying for years, like, like recessions are built on fear, like largely and, and down depressions and, and those are built on fear and they're built on how people feel about the economy more than actually any fundamentals. So right now there's a lot of fear. And so that's causing a lot of uncertainty and a lot of like crazy times. But that said, I don't think real estate's the cause of it. So I don't think real estate, long answer short, I don't think real estate's going to be affected that much. I think that some people are going to obviously be out and they're going to go bankrupt. They're going to lose money, especially those in vacation rentals. I mean, people who own vacation rentals in Maui where their payment is, you know, $18,000 a month and they've been making $25,000 a month for the past 10 years on vacation rentals. And all of a sudden they have zero rental like income at all. And they got to pay $18,000 a month on a mortgage payment to have this beachfront property. Yeah. Those people are going to struggle right now. It just sucks. It's horrible. It's just, they got a bad roll of the dice and now would be a pretty decent time to start picking up those properties. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, says speaking of buying opportunities, but yeah. speaking of different opportunities, I mean, you have of, of 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 many people pretty much oversight over a variety of different real estate strategies. First of all, because you've done a lot of them, you've flipped houses, you've landlorded, you've got into multifamily or mobile home parks, but also, you know, you kind of oversee bigger pockets a little bit. You see all the different strategies going on right now. So, of all those things, and you have a, a chance to study and think about them and see people are being successful in various different strategies. What are some of your favorite strategies right now? Yeah, for new investors, I still love house hacking. I still think it's a solid plan, which is where you buy a you know small multifamily property, like a duplex, triplex, fourplex, live in a unit, rent the other ones out. That works in any market all the time, forever. I just think it's an awesome strategy. It's very non-market and economy dependent. It's like, can you rent a property and rent out the bedrooms? Or if you, you know, a house and rent out the bedrooms, or can you buy a small multi and rent out the other units? It, it's almost hard not to make money when you do that. Uh, now you can't just buy any deal. You have to buy the right deal, but you can find those deals. I, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan of also like anything that's a rehab, anything you, a value add. I just, I, I've always loved value add. I know you do as well. And like this idea of, you know, if you buy a property that's a little bit nasty, Let's say you buy a property that's worth, for simple math, it's worth a million dollars when it's all fixed up. You buy the thing for $600,000, you put $100,000 into it, now you're at $700,000 and you have 30% equity in there. I like that because we don't know what the future holds, but I would wager quite a bit that the market's not going to tank 30% or 40%. If it does, okay, that's fine, but like it'll come back at some point. And so I like uh, rehabs because they allow that equity. That applies at the $100,000 level and the $100 million level and everything in between. Uh, if you can build some forced equity, it's more work. It's, it's a hassle to manage a rehab, whether you're doing it on an apartment complex or a single family, it's a hassle. But I think it gives some breathing room in times like this, which is where the Burr strategy comes in. We talk a lot about that all over BP. It says buy a property, rehab it, rent it out, and then go to a bank and get a refinance, get a long-term loan on it, uh, get normal debt. And that, I mean, apartment guys like you have been doing that forever. I mean, that was, that was a thing for years long before we put the word Burr on it and applied it to single family houses and, and small multi. But yeah, we're just talking about repositioning and then get your cash back out and go do it again. 
What's up? What else do you like? I mean, I love mobile home parks right now. Uh, I love that strategy of just mobile home parks. Uh, not that they're the best thing in the world. Like I like to caveat with that because I, one, I don't want the entire world jumping into my niche because that just creates competition. But, but more so, like I think people sometimes there's this famous story uh, called I think it's called Stephen King's Pencil. Have you heard this? It's so good. It's the I don't remember what book, business book I read it in, but they basically say every time Stephen King does a question and answer, you know, Stephen King, one of the best writers of all time. And they ask him questions about how he does stuff. Inevitably, it always gets down. Somebody gets down to the point of what pencil do you use? But it's just irrelevant. But people ask that because they feel like if they're using the same pencil that Stephen King is using, then they're going to be successful as well. And it's completely ludicrous, but it always comes up as Stephen King's pencil. And the fact that like, if I say I do mobile home parks, everyone's like, oh, okay, well, we, that must be the thing that works. Uh, and so here's what I'd like to say. It's mobile home parks are great. I think there's a lot of benefits. I talked about them earlier, the low-income housing. I think that long-term trends are good for that. I think that there's uh, not as much competition in the space, though we're finding that we're having to make just as many offers as apartment guys and getting just as many rejected. But I like them because I chose them. Like some things in life, you just have to like choose and say, I'm going to go all in on that. And that's going to be my thing. Uh, and so I chose mobile home parks because I was waffling between like 20 different things and I got tired of waffling. And so I said, that's what I'm going to do. I could have chose self-storage. I could have chose senior housing. I could have chose affordable housing. I could have done private public partnerships. I could have done apartment complexes, C-class, B-class, A-class, doesn't matter. You can find examples of millionaires in any niche. So I like mobile home parks for a number of reasons that include recession resistance, resistancy. Is that a word? I think it is. I'm going to use it. It is now. All right. I like it. Uh, I like it for that reason. I mean, like, my theory is, would I rather have a tenant paying $2,000 a month for rent or paying $200 a month for rent if things go bad? And I would rather have $200 a month because those people can, like, they can figure out a way. They can sell their TV if they had to to be able to pay rent. And so my theory is the lower rents, it's at the bottom of the, of the rent like hierarchy. So if you, if you are a millennial and your parents are helping pay your rent, maybe, and you're living in the city and you're paying $3,000 a month for this nice apartment and things get tough, what happens? You don't go live under a bridge. You go live in a $2,500 a month rental. You tighten up your budget a little bit. You go move down. And the $2,500 people, they're going to move down to the 2000 the 2000 down to the 1200 or 1500 15 to 12 12 to 7 At some level, like the bottom is mobile home parks. Like it does not get cheaper than that. Lot rent, a couple hundred bucks a month unless you're living under a bridge or living with family. So my yeah. theory is that rents compress from the top down and they don't just you know move as a whole down, they compress from the top down. So I'm hoping that even if rents do drop, they won't drop as severe in the mobile home park space. One argument is that the, this particular crisis is affecting low-income earners mm -hmm. you know, in the retail entertainment uh, space, yep. which is classy yep. property, which is mobile home property. Yeah. Is that a valid argument? And, and the argument is, oh, well, class A is fairly insulated because yep. people working in the office space, hey, they can just work from home and they still have a job. Yep. It's a really good point. And it's something that I never considered. I'll be honest. I never considered the fact that like a virus would wipe out the entire working force of America like that, that level. Right. Uh, yeah. And we were definitely worried about it. I mean, like it come like when this thing started coming down in March and then we're like, oh, is April rent going to get paid? And is May rent going to be paid? And the fact is, like, even though some of these people are laid off, Rent still got paid. We're still getting full the same rent we were getting before the like before the uh, COVID thing happened. Now again, if this goes on for the next six months or twelve months, then we got a problem. I believe the government at some point is not going to let the entire world fall apart, and they will just keep going into debt to make sure that the entire U.S. economy doesn't completely tank. So print some more money. Yeah, they will print some more money, yeah. and we'll get through this. And it's going to make it harder on the other end, I'm sure. 
But I don't, especially in an election year, I do not believe the government's going to allow the entire economy to fail. They will just print money and put it under the next guy and then our children and their children and their children for a while. But yeah, I think that uh, I was, I was, I'm not going to say I wasn't concerned. I was concerned what happens. But at the same time, like we see things like 15% unemployment or, you know, 10%, 20%, whatever. There's a lot of numbers going around. I mean, Maui's over like 45 or 50% because there's so many hotels here uh, mm-hmm. and everything shut down. But the, I think the number I saw today was 15%. Let's just go with that. That sounds terrible. Until we remember that what that means is 85% of the population is still employed. And 5% are always unemployed, typically. I don't know, 3 to 5%. So really, we're like, okay, there's 10% of the world is not paying. So out of my parks, are some people not going to be able to pay? Yes. Are they getting government money? Yes. Can they afford $200 a month when they're getting $2,500, $3,000, $5,000 from the government? Yes. Uh, and so, again, the lower rent amounts, I think, can accommodate that better. I think I think you're right. And I think uh, we were mostly concerned about people strategically defaulting, choosing not to pay yes. rent, even though they could, which did not happen. Yep. Uh, April would have been the first time we would have seen that. And uh, the government is, uh, the unemployment benefits are very, very rich. Yes. And so, yes, so, so many people are unemployed, but you're like you said, the government is paying for it and people are choosing to pay rent. And I think it's because there's so much uncertainty. People don't want to mess with the roof over their head. They're like, there's yeah. the one thing I have that oh, you can't take. I'm, so I'm not going to risk an eviction. I know you can't evict me right now, but if I stop paying three months from now, you can evict me. Now I got to deal with that. And I don't want that because there's so much uncertainty. I don't know. It's my my theory. I 100% agree. I, I've not thought of it in that way, but I think you're 100% right. People don't like uncertainty. uncertainty so why add another thing yeah. in the mix? That's so good. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's always going to be some morons out there that get a lot of publicity. Like, you know, like, stop paying rent and all that. And like, yeah, those people get a little, and that caused a little fear in the landlord world of like, oh, what if it was a movement? What if like all of American tenants at one time stopped paying rent? That's just not right. going to happen. I, like, but on the <laughs> other hand, you know, retail and office, or, mm-hmm. you know, there's really no, no easy way out of, out of that. I mean, office has been suffering for years with a virtual working at home. And now people are working from home and they're like, my gosh, this is not so bad. And employers are like, oh my gosh, yeah. people are still doing the work and they're at home. Yeah. So why do I need an office? So that's going to not, that's not good. Retail. My assistant oh, oh came my. here every day for yeah. several months to my office here in my home. He lives like 20 miles away. And since this COVID thing happened, I just had work from home. I'm like, shoot, why did I ever have them come here? Like, this is great. Like, this is great. I'm going to have them work from home forever. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah and retail. Yeah. So, and retail too. Retail. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I bet I, I, I like, I, I hope that it is a short term thing because my gosh, we need restaurants. We need gyms, like from mm-hmm. a social perspective. So hopefully yeah. that will, that will come back as quickly as possible. But again, retail is just, uh, it's, it's in a tough uh, spot right now. I you think know, there's going to be a lot hear- of restaurants closing. But what that yeah, is, that means opportunity, right? It means that there's going to be a whole lot of restaurants opening because people still eat. Like human behavior doesn't change. Right. People still right. eat. They have to eat out. They're going to eat out. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm not in restaurants anymore. That I would have been out of business in, within six weeks and I would have been one of those yep. guys because you know, it's a razor thin margin for us. Uh, let, let's uh, exactly. shift a little bit. Let's talk about one of the things that you're really good at. I'm okay, but I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about beard growing. Okay. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> no, as I say, is let's shift a little bit. Uh, um, I, one of the things that you're really good at is is marketing, right? You produce an unbelievable amount of content for Bigger Pockets, and you know Bigger Pockets has really grown a lot over the last gosh five years specifically. What what do you think is the secret to you know success for Bigger Pockets? Why has it attracted so many people? Why does it continue to attract so many people? What have mm. you been doing right? That's a good question. A couple things I'll point out. First of all. This is just general, a business principle that applies to everything. That as a entrepreneur, there are things that we know we should do that would propel the business forward and they're mundane and boring. They take a lot of work and so we don't do them. 
This is every business in the entire world. For example, if you own a McDonald's, you know the thing that keeps that thing going is by flipping burgers all day long. And that's a horrible job. You don't want to sit there and flip burgers all day long. So what do good entrepreneurs do? What does a McDonald's owner do? They hire somebody to do that because that kid will do that all day long. Because it's not as miserable for somebody to be told to do something as it is for me to do it. For example, if I in my real estate business, I'm going to go out there, like I know that I should go drive for dollars in Maui. I know I should get in my car, drive around, use my app. I should do it for a couple hours every day. I would get tons of leads and I would send them letters and I would get deals to flip and I'd make hundreds of thousands of dollars and I don't do it. I just don't. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a doer. And so like, instead, what I discovered is you hire somebody else to do that mundane task and they will do it all day long. If it's the right person, right fit, they'll do it. This is what Bigger Pockets did right in the first place. Josh Dorkin brought me in to do the mundane crap so he could be the entrepreneur. So I'll say that first. Josh brought in a person to just do what needed to be done. At the beginning, it was writing blog posts. I wrote hundreds of blog posts over the first several years, like hundreds. And just every day or two, I'd pump out another post and I put them on other people's sites pointing back to bigger pockets. So years later, now seven years later, all that SEO, which is like a search engine thing, now benefiting BP and all, the, all that. So that was helpful, right? And then like the consistency of doing the podcast every single week, never miss a date in seven and a half years. That helps a lot as well. And then I think there's just a trust and credibility that bigger pockets has built because we don't, and, and I'm not like, I, I personally would love to sell products, but Bigger Pockets doesn't sell an educational product uh, other than books, right? And that's just a choice we made. As we said, we're not going to sell products. We're going to make our money as a software company. So I think people trust that. Like they trust the fact that we're not selling education. So that when we tell them to go check out Michael Blanc, they, they're like, oh, I trust Bigger Pockets. They can go check you out. And so it adds, so we become almost like a referee more than a seller of content, which has been an interesting thing uh, that Josh started. And again, it's just like, that was our unique selling proposition is like, we're just going to be a software company instead of an education company. And uh, it's, it's, so it's, it's possible as a correlation between putting out content mm-hmm. and tr- earning trust. Yes. Yes. So we put out math amounts of content, builds trust. We create tools and then people use the tools. And I know like you have the deal analyzer still, right? Like Tons of people talk to me about how great that thing is. Like you have a tool so people like the content you put out and then they buy the tool because it helps them do their real estate. It's like a win-win. And so you do the, you do the exact same thing Bigger Pockets does, really. It's like same thing. It's like you put out good content, you create good trust and credibility, and then you provide additional resources and tools that you can make money on. I agree. I mean, I resonate very heavily with Bugger Pockets. I contributed for years for for that. And that's how people, you know, still find me today. But I think content is so key. And you're one of the best I I know putting out all kinds of content, podcasts, blog posts, videos, prolific, consistent. How are you applying that to your own investing business? Because you have an investing business as well. How, how, to what extent are you applying these kind of techniques to your own business? Yes. Yeah, so a couple of things I'll point out. First of all, is add more of like, how do I, I'll answer it in two parts. One, how do I use it to benefit my business? And how do I use those things in my business? I'll say both. First of all, I learned a lot from you and Joe Fairless. And here's what I mean by that. I saw what you guys were doing. You guys had an audience, you had podcasts, you had content out there. And then you use that to build trust and credibility and then be able to raise money for big real estate deals. And I'm looking at you guys and I'm like, you guys got like all these properties and units and you're doing such cool stuff and I'm over here not doing any of it. So that's why a year ago I was like, I'm going to change. I'm going to start using my this to raise money and to find deals and find talent and bring in other people. And so that's what I did. And so again, I'm just taking a playbook out of your book. So when you, when you say I'm good at marketing, really, I'm just stealing from your playbook here. So thank you. But the second thing that I, I do in the business now is 
I've gotten pretty good at video. Like I like talking in video. I, I enjoy that. It's a skill that I've built up over the last seven years. If people think that I've always been good at video, go look at the early YouTube videos of Bigger Pockets' YouTube channel. You can sort by date. My early and videos. You didn't like, have that, that. I didn't have the beard, beard you have now. Yeah, yeah I didn't have that. That's big. I'll tell you a story about that in a second. But go watch my early YouTube videos. I'm like sitting in a chair awkwardly rubbing a cat, like no video or sound. I had my like crappy camera set up. Anyway, it's a skill you develop. I use video in my real estate business now on, on a number of different ways. One, one, first of all, whenever we put out, uh, when we have a new property for, that we're raising money for, we make videos on here's what the deal is. We edit it all together. I'm talking in front of the camera. I'm confident. I'm excited. That makes people attracted to putting money into a deal. Like imagine if you're trying to raise money for a deal and you're like, yeah, um, it's a property and uh, it's a really good deal and there's lots of numbers. Nobody, nobody wants to put money with that guy, right? So uh, we use video in, in to, as a way to build trust and credibility at scale. I also send video thank you letters, video, basically like a, a quick one minute video to people who are in my fund. And so if you're listening to this and you're my fund, you either got one probably, or you're going to get one at some point where every week I record a bunch of these. I'm just like, Hey, John, nice to meet you. This is what we're doing in the fund. This is what I'm doing. Thanks so much. Blah, blah, blah. And I send these videos every week, a bunch of them. And I'm got really quick at making them, uh, but they're really personal and I love, and then a lot of times people will send me a video back and I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. Now I don't have to necessarily have like a 45 minute conversation with someone on the phone, but it just creates this, this additional level of personalization that I think has helped us raise a lot of money and, and given us a lot of like goodwill. That's great. How do, yeah. what do you use, what tool do you use for that, yeah. for those uh, customized? Yeah, vi- really awesome. simple, really simple. It's called Loom, L-O-O-M. Good. Yeah, it's Loom. Is, it's actually a screen recording software that businesses use to like make tutorials. That's what the kind of the, the idea is, right? So if I want to teach my assistant how to go with my email, I click the one button on my Google Chrome. It's an extension on Google Chrome. I click it and then it records my screen and my little face in the corner and it records the, my screen and then I can talk through it and then it sends it to the cloud and it copies a link that I can then send to whoever I want. It's very, very streamlined, very smooth and efficient. But what I discovered is you can turn off the screen share part and just turn on the face one and it's just a full like high def video of me. So all I do is I, I go to my CRM, I go to my investor list, I click on you know Bill Johnson, and then I click the Loom button. It's like one click, boom, it starts recording. Hey Bill, what's going on? Nice to meet you, thanks for being on the phone. I know you put this money in, I know this, you know, I see this in the listing about you. Great to meet you. Hey, you have the same middle name as my dad, weird. You know, like, just like a conversation real quick. And then I hit the button, I close it, and now the video is automatically uploaded. The link is copied to my clipboard. All I now have to do is go into an email and hit control V and paste it. And that took the entire thing takes less than one minute to record to basically, there's no editing to record and then copy and then send an email. The entire thing is one minute, roughly maybe two per person. It's crazy fast. That's awesome. Video is so, it's such a great way to, uh, to, to build trust with people. And, and you are now have been applying those marketing techniques, video and other things to build trust with investors and raise millions of dollars. And that's really exciting to me as well. We're starting to teach it a lot more to our audience. How do you apply these marketing techniques that you've used for years? I've used for years, but now we should really teach other people how Mm -hmm. to do that Uh, because it's so fundamental to you and I, we don't even think about it anymore. Uh, but yet people are struggling to raise capital at scale. So I'm just really excited. I love marketing. Yeah. Like I can never stop learning marketing, but I also like the art of the deal as well, right? So combining yeah, combine them together. together. Yeah, here's, a, here's, another, really here's another good one that, uh, that I've learned that I kind of stumbled across. It started as more of a vanity thing of like, how do I build up my Instagram? I liked Instagram. I like to scroll on Instagram. So how do I build up Instagram audience? I just started putting out a lot of content on Instagram, just simple stuff like how to post, uh, stuff about my properties, my family, whatever, just 
whatever I felt like doing, but a lot of personal stuff like about me and my family. And I started attracting this following and started growing. And here's what I realized is when I think of people that I, cause I'm an Instagram user and that's the largest, I think the largest social media network out there today, or at least the fastest growing in our, in our world. And when I use that, I follow a couple hundred people, not a lot. And so I see the same people in my feed constantly, people that I've never met, people that I don't know. That just, somehow I followed them years ago or a year ago. And I, I just, every couple of days, I see a little thing about their family. And here's what I find fascinating is I feel like I know those people. I know about their lives. I know where they live. I read this little thick blurb about them. And I feel like I have such a connection to them that, so now I have 125,000 followers on Instagram and those people know me. They think they have a connection to me and, and they do have a connection to me. Like, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's like, they're part of my world because I share my stuff on social. So as a syndicator, as a money raiser, or even just as a real estate investor, if you listen to this, you're not, that, not going that big yet. Just building a social media audience, uh, a, a platform, and you don't have to have 125,000 people. I mean, a, a, a thousand people is a thousand people, right? 500 people is 500 people. Building that has allowed me to raise, I mean, almost every single bit of money I've ever raised has come from Instagram. Just from me mentioning that I'm doing it because I have a 506C fund so we can advertise and I can talk about it. It all comes from Instagram because that's just people are like, Brandon. oh yeah, I know Brandon. I like him and that's what they do. Is that your biggest channel, Instagram? It is outside of the podcast, which is like obviously bigger, but I don't, I don't own the podcast. I mean, Bigger Pockets owns the podcast. Uh, and so I can't, I mean, I suppose I could be, can, you know, try to raise money every episode, but I don't. Uh, and so, yeah, personally, yeah, Instagram's my, my thing. And, and, and people always say, oh my gosh, I need to be everywhere at the same time. Yeah. And it, it is you don't. And you specialized in Instagram. I deleted my LinkedIn really actually. Because everyone said you'd be LinkedIn. I was like, I just don't, I don't get LinkedIn. I'm not a LinkedIn guy. I'm just going to delete yeah. it. Why even risk focusing on something like that? Yeah. But I love it. It's really, it's, it's a focus and you don't have to do everything at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it, I was, I was look at it as layers. You do one thing. Oh, I'm going to start a podcast. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's challenging and the commitment is there. And once you have that, that plate spinning, you can go, okay, what else should I do? And you layer something else on top of that could be Instagram, could be, and once that's in place, you've automated, oh, let's, what else should I do next? And you layer that yes. on top of that. A lot of people just get overwhelmed with all the different things one could do when the day's long. Yep. And therefore, no one, they don't do anything. You know, speaking of overwhelming, well, one of the things I noticed about you, uh, Brandon, is that you're very intentional. Uh, what I mean by that is I, years ago when, when you and I connected, I think you were like out in a farm somewhere, you know, a little bit more rural than I would yes. have, you know, expected. And then you moved to Hawaii. Yes. And you're also very intentional with your travel. And I'm wondering, what are you doing to kind of architect your life with regards to family and business? Like, what are some of the disciplines that, that you have and what's important to you? Yeah. It's a funny little story. My publisher, Katie, who heads Bigger Pockets Publishing, she came to me the other day or she sent me a message over Slack, uh, which is the communication tool we use at Bigger Pockets. Anyway, she sent me a message and said, This is so funny. Check this out. And I looked at it and it was a screenshot of a line that I wrote in the book on rental property investing. So that's the, the not the first book I wrote, the second book I wrote, but the most popular book I wrote. This was, I wrote it five years ago now, or maybe four years, five years ago, I think. And in that book, in like the first chapter, I wrote a line that said, Now I'm not a millionaire, comma, I don't live in paradise, comma, and I don't drive a Tesla. But what I do do is blah, 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 blah. And I looked at that and now, and, and look, now yeah. I li I, I'm a millionaire. I live in paradise and I drive a Tesla. And so what, I, <laughs> what was so funny about that is that like clearly that was something that I aspired to even back then. As I said, that's a vision of like, that's what I consider successful is in my mind, because everyone's got a different definition, that's successful. And so like 
almost like not subconsciously because I did work towards it, but like that's where I ended up is doing exactly what I said. Like I'm not there yet, which was funny. Anyway, so yeah, vision is so important and I'm such a big believer and I always have been. I've had a vision board and I like vision boards. When I moved, I threw it away because I didn't have room for it in the storage and shipping container, but I didn't want to try to cram it in there. But like just knowing where you want to be in life. Like I knew that I lived in Grays Harbor, Washington, like the armpit of Washington state. Like it's a rough place. I mean, a beautiful place, but just like rough sometimes. And I was like, I don't want to live here forever. And you know, where, where do I feel alive and happy? And it was like, whenever I'd visit Hawaii on vacation, I'd like, I just never wanted to go home. So I'm like, how do I get there? And it's like this constant thing is like, what's the next little step I can do to get there? So you have your vision on where you want to head to. And then you just like constantly asking. It's really simple. It's like, you just know where you're going and constantly ask, what's the next little tiny step to get there? There's this analogy, somebody used uh, Bryce Stewart on our podcast back a couple of years ago. He told this great story about vacuuming his truck because he basically said, I don't know how to sell my truck. I need to sell my truck. I don't know how to sell my truck, but I know how to vacuum it. So he went out there and vacuumed it. He's like, I still don't know how to sell my truck, but I know how to take pictures of it. So he took pictures of it. He's like, I still don't know how to sell a truck, but I know how to post it on Craigslist. So in other words, things seem monumental, like moving across the ocean to Hawaii seemed like it was a tremendously huge thing. But the entire process of anything from moving across the ocean to buying a hundred unit apartment complex or a mobile home park or self storage or anything. It's made up of little tiny five minute or less actions. Everything in life can be condensed down to a series of five minute or less simple actions. Very few things in life are actually difficult. They're just really complicated. Like they're, they're steps. They're not even that complicated. They're steps that you haven't defined or you haven't practiced. And like, this is true for like everything, like a rocket scientist probably doesn't think being a rocket scientist is that hard. It's just a lot of little steps that they get, they've just figured out. So anyway, that's, so, that's what I do. So clear, having clarity and then just taking small steps towards that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so fundamental. Now, and, and now you have, you showed me earlier, some kind of newsletter style, yeah. like thing that you have in your wall. What is, what is that all about? Yeah. So uh, I read a book called, this is what got me into the mobile home park thing really strongly. So I read a book called Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. And it was all about just having a very crystal clear vision of where you want your business to be three to five years in the future. And you write it as if it's already happened. You write it in the future. There's different creative ways to do it. I have a buddy who made like a pamphlet. I've seen other examples. I've seen paintings people have done. I chose, I'm a writer. And so I chose to write a newspaper article. And I actually formatted it like a newspaper article. Columns and there's a big headline. And it looks like it came straight out of the New York Times. And it says, Basically, and it's long, it's a couple thousand words because this is not like a mission statement for your business. This is a clear vision. Like this is what my company does. This is what we're known for. Uh, I mean, it starts with like December 31st, 2021, uh, Open Door Capital is an investment firm unlike any you've ever seen. And then it just goes into why that is. And interviews with the CEO, which is me, interviews with like, you know, it mentions like quotes from other people on the team, what they like about it, how many employees we have, how much real estate we own. So anyway, all this combined, to be a very clear vision. And I wrote this on an airplane. I read the book the first hour and then the next six hours coming back to Maui, I, I, I wrote out the vision. And by the time I landed, I was like, I know where I'm going. I know exactly nice. where I'm going. This sounds cool. Because at the end of the day, like people struggle trying to find like what's the right thing for them because they think that they're like on a beach with a metal detector and they're looking for some hidden gold out there. They got to stumble across their purpose or their destiny. And what I like to envision instead is you just have a blank canvas. You've got a paintbrush in each hand and you got a canvas in front of you. You can paint whatever you want. So rather than asking what's right for me or what's perfect or what's my destiny, just ask the question like, what's cool? What fires me up? What would just be a neat life? And so my vision is a neat life. And I just work backwards from that. So today, 
everything I do today is just get closer to the vivid vision that we have. And we're, I mean, the goal was by 2021, end of 2021 was to have $50 million in real estate owned. And we're at like 20 right now. And we've got a good shot at getting to 50 by the end of the year with the amount of offers and properties under contract right now. So yeah, having a clear vision, it's been helpful. That's awesome. What are you excited about right now, Brandon? Uh, I'm excited about mobile home parks. Obviously you can hear that in my voice when I talk about them. I love just that niche. I think it's fascinating. I'm excited about getting some sleep someday. I have a five month old baby who is sleep regressing, so we don't sleep anymore. It's amazing. Actually, uh, I think uh, we're going to apply for the Guinness Book of World Records for, for Wilder, my son, on uh, number of consecutive days he can go without sleep. It's really, um, um, oh, good yeah, we're going to go for that. It's, <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, we did get a four hour stretch last night, longest I've had in quite some time. It was wonderful. And I am very excited about getting back with friends because right now, like you don't know, you don't miss it as much until you lose it, right? Like the ability just to have dinner and break bread with friends. And like, I'm looking forward to that again. I'm very excited about this quarantining thing being over so I can go and hang out with friends and be human again. Yeah, no kidding. What about you? You're an easy man. I'm turning this uh, around. What am I excited yeah. about? Yeah, gosh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited about a variety of things. Uh, teaching people how to market. Mm, that yeah. is uh, something I'm really excited about, combining that with syndication. So it's something that uh, we've done a workshop on this and we've did, we're doing one right now and people love that and I love teaching it. So I really love the adding that to my platform and teaching people how to, how to do that. You know, the Blunks are getting a little restless, so we're looking to maybe move sometime this year, ah. you know? My next door neighbor's house could be up for sale today, Airbnb, that's making no money right now. (laughs) There you go. We can pick up one of those those things. And uh, yeah, you know, so architecting that life. And uh, so that might be in the cards. And and then, you know, some buying opportunities, hopefully, you know, being ready. It's, 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 I almost feel like, you know, last five, 10 years, this is, you know, what we're working for is, is getting this kind of opportunity here. So yeah, it's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. And then, you know, reconnecting with friends as well. I think that's that's pretty pretty interesting. Really focusing on relationships in general, yeah. uh, not taking people for granted and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that includes having conversations like this on a more regular basis. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that's really awesome. You're an easy man to find, uh, but how, how can people connect with you? Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, Instagram, I'm like a 13-year-old girl on there. So uh, Beardy Brandon is my Instagram handle, beard with a Y. Uh, I said earlier, I'd tell you a quick story about the beard when I laughed about that. That's right. Said, yeah, that's right. You can now, you can uh, never shave it off. Yeah, now I can never shave your it Instagram off. handle. Yeah, it's there yeah. forever. I can't do it. Uh, uh, yeah. I'd be like beardless Brandon. But here's, here's a true story. <laughs> I grew the beard for marketing. Now that might sound ridiculous, mm. but I specifically, it does. it does, right? I grew the beard originally because <laughs> I was watching a television show with my dad uh, back, I don't know, five years ago, four years ago. And uh, when I was visiting my parents and he was watching some show, I think it was fast and loud. And there's this character on the show. It's like a car show. And the character like on the show, it's a like reality show about cars. Anyway, this guy had a big beard, like longer than this, a little bit longer. And he was such an interesting character on the show. I just remember thinking like, he's an interesting person to watch. He's not very, and I realized, and I'm watching the show. I'm like, oh, everybody on the show is interesting. One guy's got like leather jacket and like one guy's got something else. And they all got these little like things that are very character driven. And I realized that, so much of TV and media and YouTube are character driven, being a little larger than life. And I was like, I'm such a plain vanilla dude. Like I'm like Midwest vanilla dude. I was like, how do I, how do I stand out as more of a caricature, caricature or a character? And so I was like, well, if I had a longer beard, that might be it. And so that's how the whole thing started was just like, maybe I'll grow my beard and see what, see what happens. And that became like part of my brand. Like that's actually my brand today. People know me, they see me 
uh, I got recognized because of the beard. So anyway, I think that's just kind of fascinating. Is my entire life is like marketing, even to how I look. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. You eat and breathe. Now, this would yeah. never work for me. My my wife would never kiss me again. Yeah, so this yeah. is not it's, it's out of the question for me. The nice thing is it slowly grew grew on her. Like, uh, and now she likes it a lot. So, <laughs> love it, man. Loved hanging out with you, Brandon. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, been awesome. All right, so much good stuff here. I want to kind of wrap things up together. I was keeping notes myself, but here are some of my uh, key takeaways from here: COVID, short term destruction, stay calm, and stay the course. I think that's really good advice, and I agree with Brandon on best strategies. He loves house hacking, and in fact, a lot of people who are now financially free start with house hacking, where they buy a duplex or a triplex or a quad, they live in one part, they rent out the other. It's actually more common than you think, so I do like that strategy as a way to getting into the game. He does love rehabs and creating value, especially in the buy and hold strategy. He talks about the burst strategy a lot. And then right now, his big love is mobile homes. Again, and this is, you know, I don't, I don't quite see it as he does, but the asset class has a lot of the characteristics of multifamily. That's just not my style. So nothing but fundamentally wrong with mobile home parks. It's just not my 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 style and I don't prefer to own them, but it's working really well for, for Brandon and they're very successful with it. So that's awesome. The secret to raising lots of money and scaling your business, guys, is is marketing, specifically producing content. And this is something that we are teaching more and more under the Platform Builder, you know, I, I suppose brand. We have this Platform Builder workshop where we teach you exactly how, not only how to produce content, but how to capture and build your list with lead magnets, how to create a marketing automations. If you want to find out more about it, go to michaelblank.com forward slash platform. And I have a free training on what a platform is and how to create one. So if that's interesting to you, but this reducing content is key to that strategy where you're not only adding value to people, but you're also building trust and trust is key. And and then really focus on one channel. Don't do everything at once, just focus on one channel. And Brandon obviously loves Instagram and he's really good on that and super powerful, has a huge following on there. So focus on a channel and then create clarity. We talked at the end about goal setting and clarity and he's really intentional about this. And I love that. He recommended a book called Vivid Vision. So check that out. It's on my reading list now as well. And then take what I call tiny action. Uh, massive action. Who does that? Who, who can take massive action these days? Like massive action like overwhelms me. I don't even start, but taking tiny action every single day is the way to get anything meaningful done in life. So hope you guys find that valuable. Again, hope you join Brandon. He's going, he's going to be speaking at DealMaker Live about a different topic entirely. And it's really around the mindset of a successful entrepreneur, real estate entrepreneur, really excited about what he's got going there. That's uh, He's really passionate about that. That's dealmakerliveevent.com to grab your tickets. So hopefully you can join for that. And if you are interested in in uh, investing passively, we didn't talk about it much on the on the show here, but I'm really, again, the path is slightly different, but the destination is the same, which is financial freedom. If you have invested in the stock market and are open to alternative investments, then check out uh, multifamily syndications. If you're ready to go, then uh, check us out at Nighthawk Equity is our investment firm. Go to nighthawkequity.com and click the join button. You'll fill out a short form and uh, schedule a call with us. And then we can present you with some of our upcoming opportunities that we see. Uh, we see quite a things happening here over the next few months. So we'd love to have you uh, be part of that as well. So thanks for joining me today. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.